If you've looked at a calendar, I'm sure you could. But I want to know in the next few weeks, what are some of your fondest or funny memories of past Easter with family and friends? And if you will write them down on a piece of paper, hand them to me, text it to me, email it to me, send it by homing pigeon, whatever you want to do, they might even end up in a message of the things that you send to me. Just like when we did, we're in the Pillar series, some of the people um, gave me some ideas for the messages in that series. But for the next few weeks, we're going to walk with Jesus through 94 hours of events that change the course of our world. The 94-hour period started when Jesus sat down with his disciples to eat the Passover meal. It ended on Easter Sunday morning when the disciples discovered the tomb was empty. Between these two events, Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane where he was distressed and troubled by what he would soon be facing. Then we see Jesus was arrested and put on trial. He was tortured at the hands of the Jews and the Romans. Then after spending just six hours on the cross, he died. They removed his dead body from the cross, wrapped it and placed it in the tomb. And the last 72 hours of the countdown are in the tomb. And in addition to studying the Last Supper of Jesus this morning, we're also going to get to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Or maybe you're using your phone or your iPad or you're going to look up on the screen up here. Or you're going to get a Bible from the pew. But let's turn to Mark chapter 14. And for the most of this series, we will be in the book of Mark, Mark 14 and Mark 15. So if you want to read ahead on your convenience, you can do that. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters. The teacher asked, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. Is it one of the twelve? He replied, It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had never been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in the new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's a passage of scripture I think we have read more than once in our lives, isn't it? Some of us can probably almost do it by memory. But I think it's a very important one as we begin this season. One of the most famous paintings in all the world is the painting by Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper. The original was painted in 1495 on the wall dining room in a convent in Milan, Italy. The original work was faded through the centuries until the details could hardly be seen in, in, in the 1970s. And I think, yep, there it is. Right. Good job, Aaron. There it is. The latest restoration took 21 years and was finished in 1999. If we were to have a restored version, you would be able to see that Leonardo da Vinci tried to capture the moment when Peter is leaning over to John to ask him who's going to betray Jesus. Judas can also be seen between them clutching the bag containing 30 pieces of silver and reaching for the same plate as Jesus was. There's also something in the um, revised one that I had never seen before. And if you have that revised one at home, I encourage you to look at it. In one of them, Peter has a knife. And it's pointing away from Jesus. And Leonardo da Vinci put it in there for a very specific reason. Because that, if you remember what happens just a little while later, when he has the knife and he cuts off the ear in the garden. That's why that's there. So, um, but it's just interesting, as you see, there's a lot of things that are um, hidden in the the picture of the Last Supper. So if you can, get a picture of it and just really look at and find some things that... Um, that are really that you don't see just by looking at it firsthand. However, this posed arrangement with everyone sitting on the side of the table as if they're having their picture made isn't the way they ate the Last Supper. The Bible clearly says that Jesus and the disciples were reclining at the table. They were probably arranged in a small circle around a low table, reclining on their left elbows. Because in Jewish culture, the left hand is considered unclean, and the right hand was clean. So they would only eat with their right hand. And there are four important truths that Jesus shared at that Last Supper that night with his disciples. And I believe that these four truths still apply to each one of us this morning. The first one is the Lord's Supper involves careful preparation. We read that Jesus sent some of his disciples in Jerusalem and told them to find a room and make the necessary preparations for the Passover. Every spring, the Jews would commemorate the time when they were slaves living in Egypt, when God called Moses to tell Pharaoh to set the Hebrew people free from their bondage. 
and how Pharaoh refused and how God sent the series of plagues to warn, warn Pharaoh. But Pharaoh always refused. So God sent the final deadly plague. God warned the people that on a certain day that the death angel would arrive in Egypt. The firstborn child in every family would die unless they would follow God's instructions. He told them to take a young lamb and slay it. Then the blood would be smeared on the doorpost and the door frame of the house. And after the lamb would be roasted and the family members would walk in under the blood and have a meal in which they would eat all of that roasted lamb. And whenever the death angel saw the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost, he would pass over that family and there would be no death for that family. But when there was no blood applied on the doorposts, death would visit that home. For those who obeyed God and trusted his word, they could rest inside knowing God's judgment would pass over them. So for the Last Supper, what preparations were required? Passover was a 24-hour celebration that started at sundown on the 15th of Nisan and ended at sundown the next afternoon. Anybody want to stay here that long? The date of Passover this year is March 30th, which is also the Friday after Palm Sunday or Good Friday. The day-long Passover observance also ushered a week-long festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For an entire week, the Jews only ate unleavened bread, which today is called matzah. They ate unleavened bread to recall how quickly they had to leave Egypt. Over time, yeast came to represent the evil influence of the Egyptians that the Jews were leaving behind. It came to represent sin. Leaven or yeast is a tiny organism that seems powerless. But when we put it into flour and water, it goes to work and it will change the entire shape of the dough. And once the leaven starts working and you can't stop it. So the preparation for Passover involved preparing the food and all of the drinks that were going to be served. But it also involved going through a house and making sure there was not a speck of leaven present. To this day, Jewish families conduct a deep cleaning of their homes to remove any trace of leaven. This is where we get the tradition here of spring cleaning our homes. And maybe some of us might need to do that. So before we come and partake of the memorial meal today, we might need to make some preparations as well. We might need to do some personal house cleaning this morning. But I'm not talking about the houses that we live in. I'm talking about the houses where Jesus lives in our hearts and in our lives. The Jewish practice of getting rid of all the leaven is a strong reminder that we should constantly be getting rid of sin in our lives that so easily entangles us. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and it applies to you and I this morning as well. In 1 Corinthians, he said, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch 
as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as we prepare for this meal this morning, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to shine his light into the deepest and darkest corners of our lives today. To see if there's anything that needs to be cleaned out in our lives. Bad habits, anger, jealousy, resentment, hate, greed, or anything else that's hiding in our lives. For the Bible tells us the way that we must prepare for this meal is to make sure that we've allowed the Holy Spirit to get rid of that leaven, that malice and that wickedness and replace it with the bread of sincerity and truth. Maybe we need to begin that this morning as we continue in this message. The second thing that we... See, as the Lord's Supper requires self-examination. Usually the Passover meal was a happy family celebration, but there was a somber mood present at this supper that Jesus was having with his disciples. Have you ever been a part of a family meal somewhere? Maybe it's with your immediate family, or most of the time it might be with an extended family. But because something was said at the meal... The whole mood of the day is ruined. Ever been there? It even ruins the appetites as well, doesn't it? Even the desserts don't taste as good. This night that was a tension-filled night. An attention-filled meal. Jesus dampened everyone's spirits this night by saying, truly, I tell you, one of you. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Talk about a wet blanket. There it is. All 12 of the disciples went around the table and asked the same question. It isn't me, is it? Even Judas asked this question. It isn't me, is it? But of course, deep down, Judas knew that he was the one. And it's important to note that Jesus didn't point his finger to him and say, yes, Judas, you are the one. Instead, after the same question from all the disciples, Jesus said, it is one of the twelve. The one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Whew. That's some tough words, isn't it? And I think at this moment, Jesus was giving Judas one more chance. One more opportunity to repent. He doesn't call him out by name, but Jesus knew And he warned Judas there's going to be tragic consequences to his choices. None of those 11 disciples, I don't think, suspected Judas. Because he was the treasurer of the group. The one you trust the most. Each of the 11 must have honestly wondered if they would betray Jesus. 
quickly in their own hearts and minds, they did. They must have done a spiritual inventory and saw that the potential to fail the Lord was actually there. Because in Luke's account in chapter 22, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And we all know how that turned out for Peter. And on this night, one disciple betrayed Jesus. One disciple denied him three times. And before the night was over, all of the other ten disciples, what did they do? They ran away in the night, leaving Jesus all alone. At the meal, these disciples had to examine their hearts. And before we eat this meal this morning, we must examine our hearts as well. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. These 12 men were the closest followers of Jesus. And on that night, they all failed him. What if I said to us this morning, This week, one of you is going to fail the Lord in a huge way. The wrong response is, no, pastor, not me. I could never fail the Lord. Because we need to be careful here. Because there could be just a rooster just around the corner somewhere. A humble response would be, it's not me, is it? Regardless of how close we are to the Lord, there's always a possibility that we can fail him. That's why we all need his grace every minute of every day. So let's examine our hearts today. This morning. Before we come. To his table. The third thing is the Lord's Supper symbolizes a powerful representation The Catholic Church celebrates the Lord's Supper every time that they meet. Every Mass. And one reason they do this is because they believe that the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus. And the wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus. To them, it's a miracle. Have you ever wondered when you watch a magician on TV or in person somewhere? And that person, that magician will often say, as they're doing something of a magic trick, they will say, hocus pocus. We've all heard that. The words hocus pocus come directly from the Latin word that a priest speaks over the bread. Hocus means corpus meum. And in the church of Nazarene, we don't believe that the bread literally becomes the body of Jesus. Nor do we believe that the grape juice turns into his blood. To us, the bread represents the body of Jesus. The cup represents the blood of Jesus. And when Jesus left, he left us a powerful and a symbolic tool to remind us of his sacrifice. Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said this Is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. A young mother is trying to explain communion to her daughter. One Sunday. 
She whispered, the bread isn't Jesus' body. It just reminds us of his body. Then when they took the cup, she said, this grape juice isn't really blood. It's just to remind us of the blood of Jesus. Her young daughter nodded as if she understood. A few days later in that week, the mother told her daughter that her daddy was going to be coming home late that night because he had to stop at the local blood bank to donate blood so that sick people can use it. The girl thought for a moment and said, Mommy, we know that he's really not just giving, he's just not giving them blood, he's giving them grape juice, right? Guess she didn't understand yet. The bread and the cup are symbols. But what they represent is very real. For at this meal, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And in the same way, Jesus' body was broken. The soldiers broke him down through torture and abuse. To fulfill scripture, not a bone of his body was broken. But the whip shredded the flesh on his back. His brow was broken open by the crown of thorns. His hands and his feet were broken open by the nails. His blood was poured out that day to make atonement for all our sins. Once a year, the high priest observed Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. This year, it's on September 19th. He would take the blood of a spotless lamb without blemish. He moved aside the thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world. <coughs> he entered the Holy of Holies and sprinkled the blood of the spotless lamb there on the mercy seat. But when Jesus died on the cross that day, that curtain of the temple was torn into two from the top to the bottom. For it was God's way of saying, a new way has been opened to my presence and is through the blood of Jesus Christ. There was once a lady who was started working in a church as their worship leader. One Sunday, she led their congregation in singing several great songs about the blood of Jesus. After the service, the pastor was so upset and he told her that if she wanted to keep her job, that they would never sing another song about the blood of Jesus. He said that they had moved beyond that crude symbolism in this church. But I thank God this morning that we haven't moved beyond that symbolism. We still sing about the precious and the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing we see here. The Lord's Supper produces joyful anticipation. We often call this time that we will be a part of shortly the Last Supper. But that's not really true, is it? Jesus looked forward to a time in the future when he would be alive and he would celebrate a feast in the kingdom of God. This is, will be a future time of reunion and refreshment and rejoicing. Jesus said there in verse 25, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Those who are known by God and love God and those who serve God are invited to a great wedding banquet in heaven just before Jesus returns to win the final battle on earth. In Revelation 19, John says then, 
I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters <coughs> and like prayals of thunder. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. We're all invited today to the wedding supper of the lamb. But there's a deadline to accepting our invitation to the wedding supper of the lamb. For if we die and Jesus returns before we accept this invitation, it becomes null and void. So if you haven't made your reservation this morning to the wedding banquet of the Lamb, we must make it this morning. I have been a part of a few of the Jewish Passover meals and I, I really enjoy them. And if you haven't ever participated in one, I encourage you, even in this Easter season, to find somewhere where they do a Jewish Passover meal. Today, with the exception of Jews in Spain, Jewish families no longer eat lamb at Passover. Since there is no longer a temple, a lamb doesn't have to be slain. Most Jews will eat turkey or chicken or beef, but they will have a lamb shank bone at the meal as a reminder of the Passover lamb. Instead of eating the lamb, the Jews have instituted a custom called yachets. Early in the meal, they take three pieces of, pieces of the matzah bread. They take the center of the three pieces and break it into two pieces. They wrap it in a napkin and set it aside. And while the children close their eyes, they're gonna, they hide it. It's actually called aphomen, which means dessert. At the end of the meal, usually about three hours later, a child is allowed to go and search for it. There is great rejoicing when the child produces the treasure of this hidden bread. Then they unwrap it from the napkin that it was hidden in and give a piece of it to everyone at the dinner. It's the last thing that is eaten. It is to symbolize that they are satisfied and want nothing more to eat. This practice goes back to 400 years before Jesus. But to us, it says something about Jesus. For we serve a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The son came and his body was broken for us. They took him to the cross and buried him, wrapped him in those burial cloths. And he was there for three days. And when he was found alive, it was cause for great rejoicing. And when we receive the bread of life, we're satisfied. Nothing else can quench our hunger besides Jesus. Only Jesus as the song says, can satisfy our soul. Only what Jesus has done can satisfy us. So as we prepare this morning to come to his table, Aaron, would you play that video, please? I was just, I, as it plays, I just want us to bow our heads and, and pray and make sure that we are okay with God this morning.